This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host for this episode, Brendan Sinone, joined by my OG game. Well, it's not quite the OG game, but a new Josh Newberg in the top right corner. Hi, not Josh. No, you're not going to say anything. All right, Boy, cool. That was I a guess. stellar start there. Wow, Brendan. <laughs> I mean, I know we're all tired running on fumes, and traffic yesterday was a real blast. And I have no clue why I'm so zoomed in, but it's kind of freaking me out. Yeah, but, uh, you're yeah. very close, Chris. Um, well, it's Zach is who I was trying to say hi to. Zach was at the game. Hi. Like, yeah, hi, Zach. What was the game like? Uh, as you can tell um, by my voice, it was great. Um, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, All right. That's the, that's the, uh, we'll get into the atmosphere in a second. I yeah, just want yeah. people to hear your voice crack once or twice. All right. So FSU 45, LSU 24. It was a beatdown in Camping World Stadium. Uh, something to behold, uh, depending on your vantage point, and this is an FSU podcast, so the vantage point is one of uh, FSU fans, right? It was it was brilliant. If you're an LSU fan or someone else across the country, it was horrifying to see what Florida State did in that second half to LSU. Um, that's going to be our starting point for this podcast, is talking about what the Seminoles did to LSU, how they did it, try to put some context into, like, now what, what happens from here. I mean, FSU was eighth going into the game. LSU was fifth. Uh LSU was favored by two and a half points, which never made sense to any of us, but I don't think we expected that, like that second half, that 31 nothing run. I think that was a special. And so now as we're recording this podcast on Tuesday afternoon, FSU is now ranked fourth in the AP poll. Uh, and I mean, we're now viewing this team very much so in the prism of being a playoff caliber team. And I think that that was the expectation of what could happen. And now it's almost like that's what should happen when you see how talented they are and this team that's still even scratching the surface of what it could be. All right, so before we get into the game, a shout-out to our sponsors. Uh, let's start with the Battle's End. Uh, the Battle's End uh, is if you enjoyed watching all right, what Keon Coleman did on Sunday evening, three touchdowns, 140-something yards, um, if you enjoyed watching Jared Verse get pressure off the edge, if you enjoyed watching Jordan Travis really solidify his, his the start of his Heisman campaign, uh, the battle's end is the way you can actually contribute to that kind of stuff happening in the future. Uh, that's what is one of the coolest things about the NFL and that NIL landscape is that uh, fans have a chance to actually make a direct impact uh, on what the roster looks like to some extent or another. Um, and, and the battle's end has proven uh, capable of doing that for Florida State. They just announced a deal with with Keon Coleman today, and um, Keon Coleman probably isn't at Florida State if he doesn't have NIL opportunities that are presented to him. You see some of the national sponsors that that have joined FSU, uh, players like Jared Verse with Powerade or or Beats with uh, with Jordan Travis, and like there's actually did I say it right, Zach? Beats Beats by Dre. Yeah. I don't want to go all in and say Beats by Dre and be wrong. Anyways, the battle's in is where you can go ahead and contribute to it. You know, after after Tennessee beat Alabama last year, their collective got like a thousand people to sign up that next day. Uh, so that's the kind of stuff that the battle's end needs is for when good things happen on the football field for fans to realize, hey, you can kind of double down and keep this stuff going for the foreseeable future. Uh, next up, want to give a shout out to Chattanooga Whiskey. Uh, may have partaken, uh, partook, partaken, partook a little bit in that this weekend. Uh, their weeded bourbon has come quickly one of my favorite bourbons out there, but their entire line is just excellent. Their 111 full proof is, is great. Their baseline bourbon, rye, they do an amazing job. You can find them throughout pretty much anywhere in the Southeast at this point. We know we've had a lot of listeners go ahead and try their, their product and have really enjoyed it. So it's a great sponsor, Chattanooga Whiskey. I'm really proud to have them aboard. Also, Byer Sinone uh, is a group. The Turner Group, uh, Colin and Amy Turner, uh, 
Becky as well, the entire team over at the Turner Group. That was a remarkable job. Remarkable job buying, sorry, Colin, buying, selling homes uh, and helping you guys figure out uh, the right path for home buying and uh, what, what that needs to look like. It'd be a complicated process, but it doesn't have to be as stressful uh, as you think uh, if you have the right team supporting you. And that's the Turner Group. You can reach out to Colin Turner or Amy Turner uh, at getstartedatthetunergroup.com. Uh, and then, Zach, we have a, uh, a, a video game that we want to talk about as well. Yeah. Um, football coach, college dynasty available on steam i just finished my I think it was my 15th season at tulane on the game yeah it took me a while i'm finally <laughs> a national, i'm finally a national contender uh won my first national title the recruiting aspect is so much fun in that game you know you, you have to uh kind of figure out how you want to spend your nil dollars on you know either recruits out of high school or the transfer portal there's conference realignment um, there's so many, you know, modern college football themes uh, infused into that game, and, it, and it's continuously updated. Um, that's my favorite thing, right? The the developer, the creator of the game is is making it all by himself, and probably about at least every month he's up, updating the game, you know, fixing things and, and adding new features, and um, just just an awesome product. Football Coach College Dynasty available for eleven ninety nine on Steam right now. All right, so thank you to our sponsors. Uh, hat tip uh, to you guys. Um, let's get going, gents. This has been a long-anticipated podcast. Uh, that early times in Cheerwine slaps a little differently, right? Uh, when when FSU starts off the season like this, I uh, felt that a little bit last year. This one has an even different feeling to it. Um, I think the starting point is because we remember the second half, and, and that's where we're going to spend a lot of time on. But like Chris, like just vantage point, halftime. FSU's down 17 to 14. I remember looking over to Brett and being like, we couldn't in the press box, like understand exactly like why, what, like we couldn't know whether to feel okay with it, feel dis distraught. Like FSU should have been down by more in some ways, but it was actually like between officiating and uh, a costly turnover by Jordan Travis and just some like play that wasn't super like uh, consistent with what we've seen from him camp. Like felt like, okay, he could actually, actually have like maybe been ahead by a little bit too. So I had this really weird feeling, I guess, what was your thoughts at halftime? Uh, and, and please tell us that you were just anticipating a 31 nothing run uh, coming out of the break. I did think FSU would play better in the second half. Uh, the first half was aggravating. The touchdown FSU got before the half was very important. Definitely proved true in the second half. I think it's what got them back in rhythm. They had very much lost that rhythm after the first touchdown of the game. Some of that was, you know, plays not going well, perimeter blocking not being great, guys getting behind blocks on the O-line, penalties. Poorly officiated game, but I'm not going to waste time on those guys. Um, so that was kind of what oh, I'll, I'll waste time on them. They were awful. Sorry. Yeah, they were they terrible. Were yes. It was yes. not good. Um, but that was some of it. But I, I was disappointed, truthfully, by the field goal. They allowed right before the half, 57 seconds, I think, to go, what, 67 yards or so to set up that field goal. That was disappointing because that's not what the intention of FSU scoring was there. FSU intended to score, go to half tied, basically new ball game in the second half. Let's play. They gave up the field goal, which was disappointing. They allowed that chunk play. That kind of allowed that to come about there. And they called it timeout. Um, they were trying to play for a long field goal themselves. I walked over to where the scouts were hoarding all of the food, the little bit of food that Camping World brought up to the upstairs there. Um, and, and they all left. And a couple the national folks and regional folks that aren't around it every day that I know kind of asked me what I thought. And I'm like, well, I sat through 20, 25 practices leading up to this thing, and that's not what they looked like. They looked really good, and based on the first half, they looked really good in practices versus what I actually saw out there. I'm like, they're better than that. And, yeah, they went out and they did it. And the, the second half, offensive execution was high level. Defense came to play and played really, really well. If you take out the 75-yard play, it was a completely dominant second half by the defense outside that one play. Um, all in all, I you know, for a first game, Truthfully, I thought there would be a little bit of uh, to the first game, you know, things that we saw. I just thought it would be more spread out with good up and downs, peaks and valleys. Instead, we kind of had a first half that was a mess and a second half that was what this football team is fully capable of being. I thought it would be a little bit more spread out. I did not expect a blowout. I thought FSU would win by three to ten. I picked three. You know, I'm always a little conservative. I'll admit that wholeheartedly. I thought it could be a three to ten point game for FSU. Instead, you know, they go and win by 21 and they look damn good doing it. And, that is who they are. I 
I sat here all preseason, and I'm not the only one that said it, but I think they have an elite offense, and they didn't even run the ball that well, and a lot of that's LSU being very capable up front. But they can throw the hell out of it. They can run it, and they will run it very well this coming season. And defensively, they got enough pieces to make big plays. Renardo Green comes up with a big pick. I thought Josh Farmer played probably the best game of his career and somewhat limited snap total. Dennis Briggs looks like the old-school Dennis Briggs that I was a fan club president of. He can play some ball. Jared Verse was good. Pat Payton made his uh, self-felt there, both with some pressure, also getting his hand up on one of those balls. Braden Fisk in the first half wreaked some havoc. Tatum Bethune spared a man like he didn't know he had a family. That's you know, good. overall, I thought the linebackers played pretty well. Deloach did allow, I think, the early play, the very first play of the game. And I think Bethune got – yeah – or I'm sorry, Lundy got picked on one time for about a 15-yard game in the passing game. But other than that, I thought the linebackers played well. Secondary overall, I thought had a pretty good game and competed very well. And, yeah, uh, FSC's got a really good football team. And we came out of that game and kind of knowing that. And if they can hit on all cylinders from the word go, they're going to beat the living hell out of a lot of football teams. Zach, uh, if – if you had to pick one aspect of the game, only one, I know there's multiple, but like one thing that really stood out to you that you left the stadium impressed by, like what's the thing you kept talking about with your family on the way home? Like what really resonated to you about how Sunday played out? Um, I think the, I mean, the easiest thing is to say Keon Coleman, right? Like, him, him, that's, him, that's yeah, I mean, him having a three touchdown performance and kind of, especially carrying that offense in the first half, I felt like um, was big, but to me, I'll say that the the situational play um, by FSU's defense and their offense in the first half to to kind of stay in the game, you know, despite not playing well in multiple facets um, throughout those first two quarters. Like I thought, obviously the the two fourth down stops, um, FSU's defense in the red zone. We know how much FSU practices that, right? Like that's such a huge emphasis um from when i've seen you know mike norvell practices over the years i'm sure i wasn't there during fall camp but i'm sure that was an emphasis in fall camp it always is um you know he always puts his team in tough situations and kind of see how sees how they respond and i think their ability to show up in those moments kept them in the game enough for them to go make changes in it you know at halftime and, and come out and and blow the doors off of LSU in the second half. I think that was the thing that I that I kind of took away the most, um, you know, in, in totality. You know what I think Brendan's favorite part was? The pencil whipping. It's funny. I wrote about the pen. Thank you. And pencil whipping uh, is, uh, for upward null, is the correct term. Uh, it's a sports uh, term, idiom there. Um, yeah. As I was talking to my dad on the way home, a lifelong football fan, coached football for a very long time. And he called and he was like, this is after I'd written stuff. I don't think he'd seen what I wrote. And he said, he's like, you know, of all the really fun things that Florida State did and I enjoyed in that game, the thing that impressed me the most was how the coaches made adjustments at halftime. We talk about that so often. I don't think it's often like easy for us to see in the moment. Like unless you're a football coach and you know like exactly like what you're looking at from from scheme perspective, personnel, uh, play like in depth, like it, it's tough to really know like some of the intricacies. Um, but this was so out there in the open. Yeah, you're right, Chris. That, that was what I enjoyed. It was that FSU, uh, especially on offense, the defense they just tightened up a little bit, less big plays allowed, and they forced LSU to play behind the chains. And LSU, I think, was what three of ten on third down, something like that. Um, the offense going to the two running back set with Jaheim Bell as your lead blocker as a running back allowed you to finally establish counter. And that is the bread and butter of this FSU offense with Mike Ravel and Alex Atkins working together. Uh, it's something that they hang their hat on, something that they'll be able to run. Just ask Miami last year. It doesn't always look quite like that, but the offense really gets going in the second half, in part because you now had that running game established. And you were just able to kind of change the angles for blocking inside. You were able to create a, a blocker, Jaheim Bell, to go ahead and get the the overhang uh, nickel defender there and stop him from from cheating in so much and just create like able to get four or five yards of carry. Trey Benson's able to start being more physical and, and get past the line of scrimmage. And what that does is it opens up everything else for you. And if you exit a game and you hear the opposing coach and Brian Kelly said this uh, that we didn't have an answer for blank, then then you did something really well as a coach. And yeah, so so FSU made a decision that, hey, we're going to go to this concept here. 
run it about 10 times. It became what they did and everything else was based off of it. And it just opened it up. And, and it reminded me so much guys of like what Mike did at Memphis. Like when he was at Memphis and they found something that worked, they had the dudes to be able to keep going to it over and over again uh, because other teams couldn't stop them. And so like, that's where you're at now. It's like now Mike Norvell's genius as an offensive play caller and, and designer gets to see its full extent because they can find a few things that work and just build on it from there. Uh, yeah, LSU, to both of your points, LSU was three of 13 in situational moments, oh. three of 10 on third down, O of three on fourth downs, including the two crucial ones in the first half to keep it a tight game. That Zach reference. Conversely, FSU 10 of 15 in such situations, nine of 14 on third down, one of one on fourth downs, which set up the touchdown, the throwing into the blitz with LT play. Um, I thought the most impressive thing offensively for FSU was Jordan was phenomenal on uh, medium to long passes in that game. Uh, truthfully, the worst pass he made was at the line of scrimmage one night through the interception on the first down on was the worst throw he made in that entire game. He also had three drops in that game. So you look at his stat line, it could have been even more efficient, even better. Um, I thought it was phenomenal that how FSU finished, not mm-hmm. just in the sense of scoring and offensive production. They brutalized LSU, a really good SEC football team that won the SEC West division last year, and most people view as being an improved football team over that version of themselves last year. FSU took it to them in the fourth quarter from a physical standpoint. Jaheim Bell running over the guy in the end zone. The perimeter blocking by FSU is so much better in the second half versus the first half. First half, it looked truthfully like a mess at times. Keon Coleman at one point looked like he was looking for, who am I supposed to block? Well, I'm not going to block anybody at one point in the first half. He was better in the second half. Johnny Wilson's always pretty consistently good in that department. There's plenty of others to highlight that. The O-line, I thought, really settled in. Some of that was adjustment. Some of that was what they did with the counter scheme. But, like, Bless Harris kind of brought a stabilizing force for them. Keandre Jones seemed to settle down as he got a few more snaps in that game. I thought they both played really, really well. Um, you know, Winston Wright had a big singular catch in the game. LT, we mentioned the play he had where FSU threw into the blitz, really well executed play, setting up the, the touchdown. The Rodney run. Hill run, can't forget the Rodney that. Rodney Hill run was another one that was emphatic. And then defensively, I thought it was just a really good collective group effort. I didn't think there was one guy that took the game over. I think Tatum led FSU in tackles. He also led him in missed tackles, but that's sort of be expected. He's got that surround the ball the most of probably anybody on any given play. Um, but I thought Tatum played really well and kind of mm-hmm. led. Um, secondary, I, I thought they kind of figured themselves out. There's a little bit of that in real time. You can practice all you want with a secondary group, but till a team starts kind of doing what they're going to do and you got to figure out how they're going to approach it, you know, it, it's interesting to me. But I, all in all, I left that game uh, thinking, man, God, if they played a good first half, good Lord, they might have blown well, the doors off this place. Th- that might be the most, like – jarring thing of all of that is I mean, Jordan was unsettled for the first quarter and a half, really. Um, yeah, until that last touchdown of the first yeah, half. Yeah, uh, multiple drops, uh, including the Johnny. One of Johnny's, like, was on third down, and that's a drive bender. Um, and for a lot of people ask, like, why I got a little skittish of uh, my prediction, you know, when I think I had, like, six or seven point win for FSU and felt that would be pretty comfortable and why, like, the day before, day or two before I got nervous. Johnny didn't have a very good week of practice. Um, yeah, he, he had a weird uh, day where it seemed like his confidence went down, you know, what, early in the practice. Now he finished okay that day, but it was weird. He had had a pretty consistent preseason of not dropping the football, and then suddenly the drop showed up, which was an old issue for him when he first got here. Yeah, it, it was it was sort of weird. I think Mike referenced that today. Coach Norville, I think, referenced today that there were a couple days of practice last week where it was a little not as good as they like it to be and not as good as it had been, and they – did okay finishing the week and sort of the game played out that way. They didn't start great and they finished great. So yeah. Mike Norvell loves finish, doesn't he? That's his, that's one of I think, words. I think they're going to be just fine. I think Jordan Travis is going to be much better at starting games than he did in that game. I think that kind of irked him. He referenced that in the post game as he spoke about it. And man, we saw the firepower at the disposal. Uh, one stat that jumped out at me yards after catch 181 yards. I mean, that's, that's mind blowing. Seven and a half per reception for FSU in the game. In 2021, I think they were last in power five for yards after catch or right right at the bottom of of the barrel. Yeah, I I referenced on the site on the night of the game after the game that I remember talking to Kenny Dillingham many times in the first year 
you would talk about the offense, what it's supposed to look like versus, well, what we have at our disposal. We're just not able to do a lot of that, but we still want to be that. And it's so funny now seeing dudes out there and they are that, and man, it, it's fun. You know, there there's cliches in football and built for playmakers is certainly one of those, but the offense is built for playmakers, you know, they called Keon Coleman's number a bunch. I think they targeted him, what, 12 times with nine catches, I think is what it ended up being. Correct. And then Johnny had seven catches, nine targets. His only two he didn't catch were the two he dropped. He, so, he drew you know, a PI too. So he had, like, I think Bud pointed this out, he had about 115 yards of like offense yeah. if you count the PI that he drew too. And that's So you, you feel good about that. There was nobody that had a, a bad night other than the drops. The three drops were egregious, but that's it from an offensive standpoint, you know, I, I didn't think Trey Benson played great. I, I didn't think his vision early on was phenomenal, but again, I think LSU is so damn good up front that they make it really tough on you. It's a split second window decision you got to make. Yeah. But I, FSU settled in, they stuck with the running game. They eclipsed hundred yards at the end of the day, and they're going to be able to run the ball on teams. They're going to be a very, very good running team. So I didn't leave that game. I left that game more confident in a football team that I was already extremely confident in. I guess is the best way I can put it. That was going to be my question. Um, I guess I was going to ask both of you. Poor, well, poor you Zach can... was planning this for the last five minutes, Chris. I was like, when this conversation fizzles out, go for it. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. He can still provide some depth to this. So, like, to me, like, you know, for you guys that watched practice, you guys were there the entire preseason and obviously in the spring. Did this the, – the, the result of this game – impacts you know the outcome of how you you expect the season to go for florida state yes i've been pretty consistently i thought acc championship was sort of the the tip of the iceberg for them this year and maybe sneak in the playoffs depending on what happens around them in college football i wholeheartedly think they're a college football playoff contender yeah i I went into it thinking that florida state and let's let like marinate what chris just said i mean they are college football playoff contender they're probably a team that is going to play for one that should at this point with what they have talent wise that's all confirmed now it's about being consistent and making sure like that you don't stumble and have a loss that you shouldn't have and and then also having injury luck too right but like the pieces are there what you did to LSU in the second half yes you were allowed to announce yourself and and yeah I don't I think sometimes we get caught up in week one stuff or week zero stuff and put a ton of emphasis on the only data point we have but like I love that game, Zach. I, so I went into it thinking that FSU was a top five to 10 team nationally, a probably closer to five. Like I thought they were ranked a little low. I thought probably like five or six, what they should have been going into the year. Whatever, not a huge deal. I thought LSU was way overranked. Um, it doesn't sound like a huge difference, but I thought like more of a top 10 to 15 team um, based on what they were last year. And I wrote about that on the site too. Like I thought they were a little overvalued. Um, so I leave the game thinking pretty much the same of LSU. Like that's probably a top 12 to 15 team nationally. There's not a whole lot that changed in my estimation. I'm now convinced FSU is no longer five to 10 to me. They are a top five team nationally. They should be viewed as such. They should be probably a top two or three or four team nationally. People were putting them in the AP poll today at number one. Not a ton of them. Like Brett McMurphy was one of the few. They had the second most votes. Yeah. I only had number one. Yeah. Georgia, Georgia's got to strangle hold on that till they lose. And Georgia's until Georgia loses what they based on what they've done the last two years, I'm totally fine with that. But my point being is like FSU's now in this conversation. It is deservedly so. We saw them, we saw their quarterback probably play a a B plus game for him in totality, like with start and finish. Like that wasn't Jordan getting fluky and being crazy. Like and oh, just a home two hundred and two quarterback rating performance. Yeah, five that's, touchdowns. Yeah, that's where throwing. he's at. Now. Yeah. Um the run game that they they think they can run on anyone. And LSU made it a point. They didn't crowd the box, but they they cheated in with their overhang defender, and they made it a point to try to stop the run. It wasn't great, but you found a way to run the football and force them to become more balanced. Uh, the defense be respected more, and you'll be able to be more balanced in the second half. The the defense became more physical in the second half. Um, the, the stats don't look great across the board, except for uh, – uh, excuse me, I just like malfunction there – except for LSU – being three of 10 on third down, uh, three of 13 uh, when you add in fourth down. Uh, where like that little stuff like ends up making a difference is LSU averaged like about eight yards to go on on third down. Difference was FSU was six yards to go. I mean, that's a big difference. It doesn't sound like it, but but it adds up when you talk about 10 opportunities or so a game. And that's, that's a difference in field position and, 
and whatnot. So my point being is that FSU didn't play a perfect game. They played a good one. They responded well. They got better and better. We talk about them playing bully ball and really just leaning on LSU in the second half. It wasn't a perfect game for Florida State. And they still beat a team that's probably going to win eight or nine games this year handily and like had Brian Kelly having an existential crisis afterwards. I mean, like legitimately, he was questioning whether that team was what he thought it was. Players were questioning it too. The man's now going out there and saying he didn't say things that he actually said. Like he is <laughs> he is spiraling right now. And that's because of what Mike Norvell and Florida State did to them. Um, so yeah, Zach, like I the upside, the ceiling of this team is very clear now. And I think the floor has been raised as well. A couple of footnotes on defense real quick. Um, did you want to answer that, Zach, or are we going to move us along? No, we're good. All right. A couple of footnotes on defense. One, uh, rushing wise, FSU did a very good job against LSU as a running team. Jaden Daniels got some, but he's also the best scrambling quarterback they will face in the regular season. This year. He was the best in the country last year. Like he was yeah. better at it than anyone else. So. And I, I wholeheartedly believe this. I've had this belief for a long time. I think FSU is wholeheartedly comfortable with quarterback having some running success against them. I don't think they want him to run wild, obviously. But, like, I don't think it's one of those things they obsess over. I think they much more want to stop the traditional rushing attack and be effective at keeping passes in front of them and not allowing chunk plays in the passing game. And if a quarterback gets a little bit, then good for him. They don't think that's going to beat him. That's a personal opinion based on the history of Mike Norvell at this program. Um, secondly, I would say that uh, I think the defense had some stats stolen from them by the fact that they were getting their jerseys ripped off by – uh, offensive lineman for LSU. There's an example. Gilbert Edmond had a play where he's getting stretched. Uh, Braden Fisk had one where he had uh, jerseys getting stretched. Braden Fisk had one where similar incidents happened. There was a couple others. On the LSU touchdown drive in the first half, there were two that were pretty egregious on that drive. So, uh, you know, I, the defense created pressure in a lot of situations. If a game is called evenly and well with a crew that's competent, I think the defense would have had even a better evening than we saw. And it was fairly even, like, both teams were holding a good amount in the second. Oh, yeah, yeah. FSU, that's, that's, FSU understood the rules of engagement. But, you know, one team didn't have a penalty till the second half. They played the cleanest half in the history of college football. It was mind-blowing to watch in person. The team in the program and under a coach, it's not historically, like, super clean either. So that was interesting. Um, Tatum Bethune getting scolded. It wasn't even a penalty, but he – Lit up Jaden Daniels and all of a sudden. I'm sorry I tackled him so hard when he leaped in the air. My when bad. he jumped in, when he jumped into white me. hat. Uh, I digress. <laughs> I'm glad that like we get to have fun and poke fun at the officiating. Even Mike Norvell started to today, stopped himself, said you can say whatever you want to say about it. For that man to say something publicly about officiating, he doesn't really do that a ton. So you read into that how you will. It doesn't matter because FSU took the game, took the soul away from LSU in a way that was. Um, Frankly, like just not something that that we expected to that extent for it to be in that short a period of time. Um, so now we talk about like expectations moving forward for Zach's question. Like, yeah, like this is now a, a team that you view playoff prism. Um, and I just like I, I thought FSU could get here. I thought Mike Norvell could get here. I had my doubts after 2021 season, and it wasn't that he wasn't a competent coach. I thought he was very competent and really loved the way he goes about his business. It was just whether he had the time to do it and whether he was going to be able to make up for the time that was lost with the pandemic and then the slow start in, in 2021. And he has. Um, so to you guys, like, it's just like as we everybody like put context to where they're at now and appreciate it, uh, and we start looking forward to this being a potential like playoff team, uh, definitely a top five team right now. Like, what to you? And I'll, I'll go to you first, Zach. Like, what's the most in, impressive part of like how far this team has come since you first like saw Mike Norville get here at the end of 2019? I mean, it's the receiver room to me. Like, if I'm talking specific position group, I remember talking to some members of the staff during their first year here, and they were like, "How are we inheriting?" the worst receiving room in the ACC. Like, how is this possible? It's Florida State. What are we doing? Um, and Sunday night, Keon Coleman's performance mixed in with Johnny Wilson's kind of sneaky good performance despite the drops. Like, he still had over 100 yards receiving. Um, and and just the depth of that room. And, and some of the guys are going to come along over the next, you know, couple of weeks and months. Like, that's something they talked about in the beginning of the year. Like 
certain guys are going to have big weeks and it's going to alternate because that's what FSU's offense wants to do. And they have that luxury now, right? Like they're, they're not going, you know, Keyshawn Helton was a great player here, like considering the times, but like, we, you know, they're not relying on Keyshawn Helton to complete slot fades against higher level ACC defenders. Like you've got a six foot four, 215 pound NFL like receiver going out and dominating a place that's traditionally called DBU. Like I know LSU's defensive backs are not all that great this year. It's something that we talked about at on at length on here. And it's something that I thought was going to be the difference in the game. And it was, it's just the, the ability. And, and I think this is kind of a, a smaller picture into the, the wider view of, of Mike Bell and, and, this football team, like they're able to develop. They're able to like you, a lot of, a lot of the, the naysayers will be like, Oh, well, you know, he just grabbed guys out of the portal and plugged them in. Like Keon Coleman was a great player last year, but he was not a complete player by any means. Um, you know, his, his bread and butter was going up and, and making, you know, jump cat jump ball catches uh, for Michigan state last year. We saw in week one, like there was some of that, like that is definitely like his top yeah. trait. But the first touchdown catch, he made a guy miss in space and then accelerated into the end zone. Like that is just like that's an elite college football wide receiver that was not playing like that last year. That that was not the Keon Coleman of last year. So that shows the ability. Like, yes, Keon Coleman, you know, kudos to him for for putting in that time. And we know he's a guy that, that grinds and, and gets his work done. But like Ron Dugans, Mike Norvell, like both guys that, that have a hand in, in wide receiver development, like Johnny Wilson, like we, we've talked about a ton on here, like didn't do like anything at Arizona State. He comes here and he becomes one of the, the top wide receivers in college football. Like just the development of this program over the past few years is so evident. And I think receiver room for me is the easiest to point to him like hey like look at the difference look at the difference between the past like three years of, of that room specifically on fsu's roster chris same question for you and i'm going to step away and put chicken in the oven real quick so give me two two minutes of good talking please thank you fsu played 53 players in this game offensively and defensively 46 of those players played an abundance of snaps there were seven guys that i think saw one snap each on defense basically so you had 46 guys that played a lot of football. One, the depth showed. Guys were fresh, late, able to bring it. You know, Josh Farmer kind of talked about that. We know Fabian Lovett that kind of reserved some of his snaps. A guy like Destin Hill, who's going to be important for this football team, only played 10 snaps. But you also had guys that could lean in on, Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson on offense, for example. Defensively, you know, a guy like Bernardo Green played a ton. Uh, Kalen Deloach played a ton. Tatum Bethune was out there a lot. The the way it's now stacked as far as depth and talent and the ability to trust that talent is unbelievable from where it was two years ago. And the other thing is the development of guys. You're already seeing the development. I think FSU played 10 true freshmen in this game. I know some schools like to laud how many true freshmen they play in games, and they really push that narrative really hard in recruiting circles. But from an FSU perspective, I think we've learned that FSU is going to play young guys. They're going to develop young guys. They're going to build a roster that's deep. It's talented. It depends on one another. It's comfortable with one another. Rooms support one another. You know, Trey Benson, not the best day out there. Ronnie Hill comes in, has some big moments. You see guys cheering for him. That O-line, you see eight guys play, and they all contributed at a high level. Defensively, great deal of rotation up front, keeping guys fresh, allowing them to whoop ass and take names down the stretch in that game. That linebacker room, you saw the depth of the four guys up top that they trust. DJ Lundy's become a much better football player. That showed a guy like Omar Graham got some burn. He's going to continue to get burned and become a better player. The secondary's got acceptable depth, guys that are positive they can lean on. AZ Thomas is one of those who's not a starter, but a guy they feel like is a dependable next guy up kind of starter. You know, Kevin Knowles with Akeem Dent back there in the secondary, Greedy Hanson, J-Dub as your two nickels. you got guys, multiple guys at positions who you kind of view as almost co-starters, guys that you're wholeheartedly comfortable with. This team didn't have that, and it's developed over time. It's developed because of 
the way the team is coached by Mike Norvell, the way the team is developed by guys like Josh Storms and his strength and conditioning staff, it's developed by the way guys within the rooms buy into one another, whether it's a freshman walking in and being coached up by a veteran in that room or a transfer walking in and being welcomed like he's a guy that's been here for a long time. And he's very quickly a dude in that room, Casey Roddick, cheering on a team that he's only been a part of for a few months. Keon Coleman, only been here about four months. Looked like a dude that's been around Jordan Travis for years. Worked very hard to build that chemistry. The culture, we've talked about it a ton. I know it's, again, another cliche, but it's true. The culture of this program is phenomenal. It permeates throughout the roster, and it's why the roster is extremely healthy. When you look at FSU's 85 deep of scholarship players, there's maybe six to 10 guys that probably shouldn't be on that list. There's not a lot of schools in the country that have that low of a number at this point. FSU a few years ago, I felt like the number of six to 10 was more like guys that should be at FSU. So it's like flipped and it's just mind blowing how quickly it's happened. It speaks to their ability to evaluate as a staff, to hit with guys, to find guys that fit, that fit what they're trying to accomplish, fit what the program's trying to be, to get guys to become a part of the program when they walk in the door. And I, They've done it fast. It, it's mind-blowing to me how fast it has happened. You know, I, I remember sitting there when FSU lost to Jacksonville State and thinking, shit, this thing might never get back on the reels. You just worry about it. That That's sort of what the program was. It was handed to Mike Norvell in that fashion. It was almost handed to Willie Taggart, someone in that fashion. So you worry about where the program is in the moment. And then you look two years later and they're getting AP number one votes. And it's not some one-week, you know, people overestimating what a team is. It's legitimately who and what they are. That's that's mind-blowing to me. And I, I've enjoyed it. it. It's it's taken two years of constant work by that program in recruiting and developing and building a team and making guys better when they walk in the door. Yeah, it, it's fun. We, we talked a lot last season about how much we enjoyed watching guys develop in real time. It was something that had left the program and then had wholeheartedly returned. That's continued. But they also went and got dudes, and they got a lot of really, really good dudes, and those yeah. dudes are real guys. I mean, I was going to ask you that. Um, you, know, you guys obviously were kind of already saying this, but do you think that FSU hit on every single guy they landed out of the transfer portal this cycle? I'm trying to remember on that list. I mean, okay, so offensive line, Jeremiah Bio started, played very well, had three bad plays, I think, in the entire game. And they were, they were, they stood out, but in general, was very good in the game. Keandre Jones comes in and played pretty crucially very well, and Keandre is a guy who's kind of had to work to this point. Casey Roddick, big piece of the puzzle. That's your offensive line. Keon Coleman's been, you know, everything we thought and more. Jaheim Belt, yeah, that's a dude. Um, defensively, Braden Fisk, yes. Who else is there? Who who am I? Central uh, uh, Cypress is yeah. super consistent, completely reliable. You know what you're getting from him. He's a number one corner level playing player. Alongside Renardo Green, you got two island guys that you feel very confident in. Uh, Gilbert Edmonds, a guy who I think is more of a layaway, develop him. You're getting good snaps from him, but at this point, he is your fourth yeah. guy in that room. I think he was wasn't he a bit surprising. I thought he had a yeah. He I, was, thought, I thought he played well. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, shoot, he got a great rush upfield on the one where he got held. Um, he and uh, he had a big tackle for loss on a play that they tried to bounce outside when the yeah. momentum was starting to flip. Yeah, I thought so he was – we went into it. The plays where FSU created negative plays defensively, you know who wasn't on the field, I believe, on both of those plays? Pat Payne and Jared Verse. Verse, yeah. That speaks to the depth and health of this football team. They've come a long way. I had, they do a phenomenal job. There are so few misses that we can point to over the last 24 months of bringing guys into this program that it's kind of mind-blowing. Hit rate is a beautiful thing, and when you hit at that high of a rate, you get to where they are now. Yeah, and just to get to you know tie up loose ends like the Kyle Morlock, I thought um, like was was pretty impressive. Obviously, you know stat, stat line, not, nothing crazy, but you know they they played him a good amount, and he was helpful in the in you know the blocking game. Braden Fisk, super impressive. Um, Daryl Jackson, you know, to be determined, but obviously you guys both think very highly of him. And then Justin Cryer was was that final addition, and and I think we both we all think he's going to have a bright future at Florida State. So, yeah, it feels like they once again nailed it in the transfer portal, and and all pretty much you know, I think like ninety percent of those guys are, are two deep players for them. It, it's it's beyond impressive the, the amount of hits they have in the portal. Did did you guys talk about how bad it is to to bring in transfers, or was that not? Bad did you know that Miami played uh, twenty eight? 
thousand true freshmen in week one. So FSU had on defense, they had a total of, I believe it was seven guys play more than 40 snaps in that game. Yeah, and that'll probably start getting spread out a little bit more as the season goes on. Uh, I imagine that was that was a uh, they didn't get, go too deep into the rotation anywhere. Offensive line, they played eight guys. Um, they went basically twenty three deep on defense as far as guys playing a healthy amount of reps. Guys that played double double digit reps is twenty on defense. That's going to keep expanding too. I think like as those yeah. freshmen like play more, like they put those guys in. How cool is that? Like you actually got to put in true freshmen. Legitimately, it was like a real talking point against LSU. Yeah. I mean, and they got the, burned right away. The, the DBs had a memorable moment giving up a 75 But that completion. is like – I think technically like, that one counts on Quindarius Jones if we're grading it. That's um, inv- yeah. invaluable, I think. Uh, don't let Kev know. Do that. Uh, <laughs> no, we won't let Kev know. But anyways, like, yeah, there's a lot to, to be uh, happy with, um, obviously. Uh, a peek behind the curtain, and then I want to talk about recruiting stuff. Uh, so last year – uh, Chris and I are in the press box in New Orleans and FSU is basically starting to put the game away uh, and going in for a kill. And he has his game story starting to write FSU final as if they score a touchdown on that last drive. I think it was maybe a little earlier in the game, uh, but he had his like game story written, which you have to do. You have to have your game story written if you want to drop it at the gun, but he had it fully fleshed out headline ready to go to FSU beats LSU. And I was like, man, I don't do that. Like don't put that evil out there in the world like that. They, they won. He's like, they're, he's like, they're fine. They're going to get it. That's obviously like they won, but it got pretty dicey there. Well, he did the exact same thing. Probably eight minutes or so left in the game. Maybe maybe a little bit uh, more uh, than that. When, when FSU took over, it was before FSU took over with seven minutes left and basically went into a four-minute drive system. Yep. And and he started the same thing. He actually wrote the FSU beats the heck out of LSU, the Brian Kelly homage, the tip of the heck cap to Brian Kelly. Same thing. I was like, Chris, stop. He and he was like, he's like, it's not happening again this year. And and I didn't know if I wanted to believe him or not. Or I wanted to believe him. I didn't know if I did believe him. I, I, could I felt believe like they him. got out of our system with the last drive of the first half of it, the like, why is the defense doing this? But like he, Chris goes, um, he he like starts out of a podcast idea for later in the week. He was like, hey, when they win, like do this. Um, so there was a little like predictive nature that Chris and, and Chris has been very confident about what this team can be. We're there at every practice. Um, and like, I just, like, yeah, it was to have that confidence of when Chris gets panicked, it's usually a bad sign. We saw that with Willie Taggart era. And when he gets really confident, as we saw uh, on Sunday, like it's usually a pretty good sign too, that, that Chris burrows into the extremes and, and kind of is able to like see things that are happening uh, right before they end up going like in a in a drastic direction, one way or the other. <sighs> um, anything else on the game or just team in general, uh, Zach? You had a nice observation, I guess. Uh, if you want to pat us on the back, I'm going to allow you to do that. You had an observation uh, on the way home yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I think I was one of the you know, like a lot of the Nose Twenty Four Seven subscribers reading all the practice reports, getting any kind of info I could from Brendan and Chris and the guys um, that were watching practice. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that you guys kind of predicted heading into the season, I think came to fruition in week one. And I just wanted to to give you guys a little pat on the back for your coverage and and just being so spot on in, in your evaluation of this team. I mean, we can go down, you know, down the line. I mean, Jordan Travis being an improved quarterback, like, I don't even like like you guys said. I don't think that was his best game, and he put up over 300 yards passing and five touchdowns overall. Um, and then you know, the receiver room being a huge huge mismatch uh, for for most teams, including one of the better teams on their schedule in LSU. That was what you guys ha- have been saying consistently, and and that's what happened. Um, the D line, you know, play especially when you got deeper into the rotation, like there wasn't a huge fall off, which, you know, obviously wasn't the case last right, year. Zach, Zach, I appreciate this. We have recruiting that we have to get to, and I want you to be able Save to talk your voice, about honey. Save your voice. I'm trying to pat you guys on the back. I know. I, it, it's a it, – it's nice because Mike Morbell allows us to see how the sausage is made. That's it. We have phenomenal access. We're extremely appreciative of it. And it's not me trying to brown nose the program. It's true. Like, I – 
trust me, I don't love waking up every day and having to rush out the door to get to practice, but I do love the fact that I know after watching 25 practices that at halftime I can say that's not what they are, that's not what they look like, and then they go and look like what I expected them to because I watched 25 practices. Um, so, yeah, I appreciate that. It, it's refreshing around the program to have that ability. I've been in situations here where that wasn't available to us, and it was aggravating. So I very much enjoy it. Let's move to recruiting in the inevitable, like, positive fallout that's going to come from this sort of game. Zach crushed we it. We getting everybody? Are we getting everybody? All right, before Maybe. we – all right, we're, I'm going to help you out, Zach, all right, because I don't want you to be going on long rants and the little honey lozenges that need to be in your, your mouth right now need to kind of coat it and kid help show. you out a little bit. What? It's a kid what? show. Oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> um, I don't want you to be pushing yourself and straining your throat, and you need to take your, your medicine before we really get going, and I want you to hurt yourself, sweetie, is what I'm trying to say. So I'm going to play Byer Sinone with you. And that's how we're going to go through the recruiting stuff. Does that sound good? So that way you can, if you need to stop, you stop and it becomes entertainment for the buyers known part. Cool. Great. Okay. Uh, buyers to known sponsored by the Turner group. FSU parking buyers to known. So known. I hate them. They gave me multiple tickets while I was just doing my job at Florida state. And when I tried to appeal them, they were not nice and they didn't reverse the decision on the ticket. So I don't I don't like that. And I know they've given you guys tickets over the past few days. And I think, you know, I might be coming up here this weekend for the Southern Miss game. And I think it's start, time to start a riot. All right. Zach, Zach is uh, is advocating for violence. That's cool. All right. Uh, didn't peaceful protest. In that, okay, peaceful protest in that general direction. Uh, Byer Sinone is uh, – Sunday was the ideal atmosphere for recruiting. Yeah, I mean, pretty much by pretty much every single recruit I talked to after the game feels or talked about the environment. Um, they said it felt like an FSU home game. Armando Blunt, the five-star defensive lineman, said it felt like the Super Bowl. Um, that was a pretty money quote. And he had some other quotes that we'll get into that were pretty funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, the environment was awesome. Uh, you know, the, the fan split, in my view, probably 75-25 FSU. You know, I, it's probably debatable. Tell but Until that to Brett. Yeah, Brett's about to phone a friend to come on in here and just yell at us about it. Okay. Well, that I mean, I think it's pretty close to that. And, I mean, by, by the second half, of it, it was just all Florida State fans – and, you know, where the recruits were, were um, located was in that side of the end zone, um, right or to the right of the, the marching chiefs. There's like two sections. They were sharing a section with the like, FSU player families and, you know, just a good location to have them at right in the middle of kind of the FSU side of things. And, and I think that really, really helped. Um, Great an awesome environment for them and their and their families uh, as they were watching that game. By Orsonone, Jeremiah Smith was the most important recruit to be in attendance for that game. By like easy by. I was talking to someone today that's kind of close to that recruitment, and they were just saying like, could there have been a more perfect game for him to go to? I mean. Jeremiah Smith is six foot three, two hundred pounds. Keon Coleman six foot four, two hundred fifteen pounds. So you know, probably close to what Jeremiah Smith's going to be in, be at in about you know one to two years. And that dude in FSU's offense put on a show in front of the entire nation um, and against you know one of the top teams in the SEC, like right in front of Jeremiah Smith. Um, and and he wasn't the only dude to stand out. Like FSU's passing attack was the the top you know performing uh unit when it comes to you know FSC's offense on Sunday and Jeremiah Smith you know I talked to him exclusively uh and that whole interview is up on Knowles247.com he was beyond impressed um he he absolutely loved what FSU did spreading the ball around to, to both Johnny Wilson Keon Coleman and some of the other guys and he was you know He's a huge fan of Mike Norvell as a person. Like he's gone on record saying, saying he's a, you know, it's his favorite head coach in the state of Florida. And and I think when it comes to offensive play calling and just 
being a head coach, I, I do think that Jeremiah Smith is, is bought in um, with Mike Norvell. And, and, you know, we'll see kind of where this thing goes. He's going to go to Ohio State this weekend and then most likely going to be at Miami for their home game against Clemson. Uh, I think that's next month. And I expect him back at Florida State um, at the very latest for the Miami game in November. I think Florida State's knocked it out of the park, and, and Sunday couldn't have gone better for them um, with Jeremiah Smith in attendance. Uh, by Orsonone, uh, a lot of Deion Sanders articles populating our Facebook page. I Sanone that. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if anybody knows, but may have had like seven mock threads when I got back from the pool on Saturday, and all of them had to do with something. And, yeah, we'll make sure the Facebook's monitored a little bit more closely. By monitored, I mean either deleted or moved to 1159. It is an interesting, like obviously polarizing and fun topic. Uh, I think I, a little over- I'm indifferent on it all. I have been throughout. I understand You're one of the that. few people like, who are indifferent then. It attracts fan attention. Different. That's why it's written and people put it out there. But like, I don't care. I just don't. Like if he wins, great for him. If he loses, cool with that too. Makes no real difference to me. And the whole the whole FSU hiring them thing, all that chatter, it's a load of shit. So like I do not care about it. Quinson. By Orsonone, Zach Jamari Howard's crystal ball by Wilt Fong. Or Wilt Fong's crystal ball for Jamari Howard. Are you buying Orsonone? Yeah, so I'm buying that. Uh Jamari Howard's crystal ball in the Florida State today by director of recruiting at 24-7 Sports, Steve Wilfong. I, I went and actually saw Jamari Howard in person today at school, at his school. And um, Did you have to write the questions down for him since you couldn't use your voice? Uh, I was voice cracking the whole time, and he did not, hey, laugh, me, did not laugh at me, which I appreciated, um, at least while I was there. But, uh, but yeah, um, Jamari was there in person for the game on Sunday night inside Camping World Stadium. He's a big Big FSU fan, fan, and he uh, <laughs> stop laughing, Chris. He was just thoroughly impressed with that performance, as most people were inside that stadium. And I think FSU's, you know, I, I've been kind of saying that I, that I think FSU sits in the best spot. The only caveat being that his, you know, planned timeline, at least over the past couple months, has been to to wait until December, December to make a decision. He told me today that it could be sooner, but that he really didn't know. Um, you know, he's not set in a school yet and that he doesn't know of a specific timeline. So we'll monitor that. But yeah, I agree with Wolfong. I think Florida State sits in the best spot. I'll probably wait a little bit until we get a more refined timeline for him um, to, to throw my crystal ball in. Okay. That's relatively optimistic and positive. Um, Byer Sinone, sponsored by the Turner Group. The Turner Group. Knowles 24 7's 50% off promo goes for how much longer? Ends tonight at midnight. So get yourselves through the door. Number one in the network in new signups, I believe, uh, during this uh, promo. I am buying Knowles Point, uh, which Knowles we had a soft push out of when it first was allowed. And uh, yeah, we, 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 we put it out there for the people once September 1st rolled around. And here you go. You got till the end of Tuesday. Chris is so happy that we waited a day to start pushing the promo and we're still number one. He's been talking about it all day. Hey man, those August, those August numbers were met many weeks ago. When you, <laughs> when you win the game in the first quarter, you put your reserves in the fourth quarter and save it for the next week. I was going to say bye to our supporters. We appreciate you guys. Uh, we appreciate all of our Knowles 24 seven subscribers, uh, old and new, the, the OGs who've been with us for a while and have seen us grow as a website and as, people on doing this silly podcast and uh, new people coming to check us out and trying to see what we're all about. Thank you. Uh, Zach's killing it with VIP content right now. And uh, that's only going to continue. Um, so, yeah. So thank you. That was my last buyer. So no, it was just a shameless plug as, as we wrap up uh, a plug. Quickly. All of our sponsors. We appreciate you guys. Battles. And if you no, like, I meant, can I what? jump in here quickly? Oh, I think you want me to <laughs> like, wrap it up. He was, he was um, hitting the no. Chicago wrap it up button. Two guys that I wanted to note real quick, um, or three guys quickly. They're the mainland duo, Daytona Beach mainland duo, the, the four-star duo um, of LJ McCray, a defensive lineman, and then uh, Xavier Mincy, cornerback. 
both top targets with Florida State, both were in attendance for the game, and I caught up with both. And both of those uh, conversations are on Notes Twenty Four Seven right now. Little, you know, synopsis of those conversations. FSU is in the thick of it um, with both of those prospects. I view LJ McCray as a more realistic target for Florida State, even though I think in recent days I've actually heard some some positive things about Xavier Mincy as well. But looking at the trend of LJ McCray's recruitment, he's going to go see Miami this weekend um, after watching Florida State dominate LSU. Miami hosts Texas A&M. We'll see how that game goes and if they can kind of make a move um, with a strong, strong performance. The week after, he'll likely go to Florida for their game against Tennessee. We all know UF did not look good in week one. And then, you know, we'll kind of we'll monitor how that game goes against, you know, what's expected to be one of the top teams in the SEC in Tennessee. And then he'll head to Florida State for his OV next month for the Virginia Tech game, which as we saw today, is already a sold-out crowd. Um, you know, aside from the students, it's a sold-out crowd, and, and that should be a good environment um, in Doak that day. So he's supposed to make a decision towards the end of October, and and if you look at the visit trends, like Florida State did not get LJ McCray on campus all summer, which Chris and I talked about as being a negative sign for FSU's chances with that recruitment, obviously, right? Like, not being able to get one of your top defensive line targets on campus the entire offseason besides that one trip in March, like that's that's just not going to cut it. So I, I like the way that Florida State's kind of gaining momentum here. We'll see if it'll be enough to knock, knock off like Florida and Georgia, which I view as kind of the bigger threat in this recruitment in the next couple of months. But you got to like that FSU is getting some of these final visits before he makes his decision um, in just, you know, a few months from now. And then Zay Mincy, I think, you know, Florida, Miami, and Alabama, prior to that LSU game visit, sat in a better spot, spot for him. But I think FSU's making a move, and he went on record last week saying that his mom is a big FSU fan. He has other FSU fans in his family. So I do think that they have some things working for them behind the scenes. We'll see if they've made a legitimate move. He said he's going to make a silent commitment within the next couple of weeks. Um, I guess we'll see if there's anything that comes. All-American Bowl, right? Yeah, he's going to publicly announce at the All-American Bowl, which is scheduled scheduled for January of 2024. Um, (laughs) Wait, so so he's going to keep a silent commitment for four months? Okay, that'll – all right, cool. Yeah, so (laughs) we'll see how that goes. We'll see if that comes to fruition, but – yeah, I um, wanted to make note of those two guys. And then lastly, real quick before we end, Armando Blunt, five-star defensive lineman out of Miami Central for the 2025 class. This is brutal. Um, he talked with Noel 24-7 today, and he had a money quote about the environment um, inside Camping World Stadium, and especially uh, talking about all the FSU fans that were in attendance. He said, It was crazy. It felt like a Super Bowl with how much fans was there. That game was wild. So much FSU fans. When we were walking through the stadium, they were chanting FSU things and all. And then he said, you know, regarding how that kind of affects him and and, uh, FSU showing out um, and showing up for that game, he said, I don't want to play in front of five people. I want to play in front front of a lot of people. So um, he clearly cares about, you know, fan support and – Know, FSU and Miami are perceived perceived as the top two teams in his recruitment recruitment right now. So you know, take that for what you uh, will. Sorry, I was doing something else and I couldn't x out of it. And uh, yeah, oh, great job, Zach. You didn't sound like a dying weasel at all. <laughs> I got you guys. <laughs> great job. Okay, so now quickly, our sponsors. Uh, Let's give a shout out to the to Chattanooga whiskey. Find people making delicious bourbon uh, in Chattanooga, and you can get that pretty much anywhere throughout the state of Florida, southeast at this point. The Turner Group, our sponsors of By Or Sinone. Uh, let's see who else do we have here. The Battles End. Uh, who, if you really like winning football game, uh, the the Battles End probably uh, your path uh, to do so. And then, uh, and then. 
Oh God, what's the video game? Um, 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 yeah, um college, college dynasty, dynasty football coach. It's always I know it's college dynasty. It's always the I never know what the hyphen is in my head. I just call it college dynasty when we talk about it. Football coach colon college, college dynasty. dynasty. No, we got it. We got it figured out. Sorry. We should end the show. Two really tired guys and one guy with no voice. That's really been this has been an adventure. But we did it, guys, and we made it under an hour. So. By the way, FSU plays Southern Miss this week. I just want to make sure we actually said the word Southern Miss during the podcast. Don't need that rat poison, Zach. 